Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Super Speed Golf. Now here's your host... Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks. Welcome to Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and thank you for making us a part of your golf content again this week. And if you're new to the show, welcome aboard. It's great having you here. We appreciate you checking us out. And you picked a great night because tonight we're going to have a blast because my all-time favorite author and former Golf Channel producer Keith Hirschland is going to be making a return visit with me tonight, as will former PGA Tour pro Nick O'Hearn. Now, I always love having Keith on the show. He's got such great stories and insights from his years in the booth or in the truck producing live golf events. He's a great author. As you guys know, I love his book, Cover Me Boys, I'm Going In. For our new listeners, please go online to KeithHirschland.com and check out all of Keith's great books. Cover Me Boys, I'm Going In are Keith's memoirs from his career at places like ESPN, ESPN2, being a part of the team that started the Golf Channel. So you get to read all of those great things, right? All the great things that he did over the course of his career. Besides things that, you know, that went on doing live TV, you're going to get to hear stuff that happened, you know, with his family as he was growing up and some of the insider stuff that uh, really makes the book such a great read and something very hard to even put down. His other two books are great as well. They're titled Big Flies and the Flower Girl Murder. So we're going to get an update on all the things going on with he and his books. Plus, I want to get his thoughts on Johnny Miller retiring and Paul Azinger taking over that role. And, and which of the tours, right, whether it's the PGA Tour, the Champions Tour, the LPGA Tour, the Web.com Tour, which were the most challenging to broadcast and why? So we'll get into all of that and a whole lot more when Keith joins me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit, like I say, from former PGA Tour pro Nick O'Hearn. I'm going to talk to Nick about the rules changes that are set to take place in January. Which ones of those do we think are uh, the the, the uh, which ones of those are his favorite? Which ones do you know? I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk with Nick. I'll talk with Nick about the rules changes set to take place in January. We'll talk about his success against Tiger Woods in the World Match Play events. He beat Tiger twice in 2005 and 2007. Also want to get his memories of playing with Justin Rose from, you know, the time that Justin was a young kid. He started to play with Justin Rose out on the European tour when, when Justin was still a teenager. So I want to talk about that and the growth that he has seen in Justin Rose's game over the years. Justin Wright rose up to number one player in the world there for a little bit. He's currently world number two. And since Nick is from Australia, I want to get his thoughts on what the international team for next summer's President's Cup team can do. What can they learn from the European Ryder Cup team so that the international team can be more competitive next summer. I want to get Nick's thoughts on that. So a lot to get into with Nick when he joins me a little bit later on in this half hour. So a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour. 
But before we get started, I want to remind you about my good friend Mitchell Lawrence and his great golf show that marries golf and travel. It's called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can find online at golfnewsnet.com or over on Audio Boom or really anywhere you consume podcasts. He and his co-host Darren Bunch travel all over the world, and they let you know about great places to play, stay, and even eat while you're there. Again, it's called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it online at golfnewsnet.com or over on Audioboom. His twin brother Matthew and his show Backspin Golf going on hiatus now for a while, which I am not happy about at all. Matthew is about to destroy my Sunday mornings. I told him, you know, he's going to have to call me and talk golf at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings from now on. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself until he gets back on the air with that show, but I encourage you to go online to WLXG.com and uh, check out his archived episodes. They're available as a podcast because the show, folks, really is. It's fantastic. Available on WLXG. LXG.com as a podcast. It's called Backspin Golf with Matthew Lawrence. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our friend Steve Rondonero about the great things they have going on up there. Play legendary golf at French Lick Resort, the only place in the country where you can play courses by two Hall of Fame designers on the same property. Our Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses offer two very different challenges. Experience them both and save with our Hall of Fame package. Our two historic hotels are unique as well. Cap it off with a fun visit to the French Lick Casino. Check us out online at FrenchLick.com. Bring a group and save even more. Play legendary golf this season at French Lick Resort. Yeah, folks, go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place to have up there and to book your stay as well. I also want to give a shout-out to our friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. And, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan Iron since the 80s or 90s, do yourself a favor. Get a demo iron online of their Fort Worth, PTX, or new Edge irons and go out on the range and compare them to whatever it is you have. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. No mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons wedges, and hybrids online by going to BenHoganGolf.com. And I'm going to build those clubs to your specifications. And best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Again, go online to see their forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, accessories, all of the things you need for your golf game, BenHoganGolf.com. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. Their fall collection is out, and now is the perfect opportunity to change things up layer upon layer. They make style easy. Find carefully coordinated outfits in a variety of colors and options. The Bobby Jones brand delivers excellence as genuine as the legend himself. And their collection of golf performance and lifestyle apparel for both men and women, absolutely outstanding, folks. See it online by going to bobbyjones.com. All right, now back in making his fifth appearance with me here on Next on the Tee, like I say, is my favorite author and one of my favorite individuals, period, and that is Keith Hirschland. Keith has become a wonderful friend of the show over the last few years. He's an Emmy Award-winning TV producer. He produced shows for ESPN, ESPN2, the Golf Channel. He was among the original people that started the Golf Channel back in 1995. He's also written three wonderful books, first of which is Cover Me, Boys, I'm Going In, Tales of the Tube from a Broadcast Brat, which is, like I say, my all-time favorite book. He's also written two other great books, Big Flies. And the newest one is titled The Flower Girl Murder, which is getting rave reviews and winning awards absolutely everywhere. And I am thrilled he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Keith. Thanks for coming back on the show. How are you, my friend? 
Oh, my gosh, Chris. Uh, I, I have to thank you. It's always a great pleasure to be on your show. I know we're going to have a, an enjoyable and interesting conversation. Um, and it's always one of, you know, it's my great honor to join you. But before we get started, I just have one bone to pick. And it's not with okay. you. It's with our friend Matthew Lawrence. What What is this nonsense about being on hiatus? Right. The, the man, needs, the man needs a break. I mean, what <laughs> golf is being played year round now. Can't he do backspin golf year round? I think we need to have Again. a conversation with him. Agreed. This is exactly what I'm <laughs> saying. I can't believe when I heard him say that he was going to go on hiatus and he wasn't even sure when he was coming back from that hiatus. I told him, I told him, you know, you're, you're, Hey, you're killing my Sunday mornings. You're giving me nothing to yeah. look forward to with respect to golf shows on the weekend. And you can't even tell me when you're coming back. Agreed. We need to get him on the phone. Yeah. Well, he's, he's awesome. And you know, you're the best. He's, you know, he's, he's, if you're one, he's one a, and, uh, the, both, both shows are incredible listens. And, and for the folks that are tuning in, I know they know that, but, uh, I re- highly recommend uh, uh, your show and, of course, anytime you can listen to Matthew when he goes to work. Indeed. Thank you for saying that, Keith. All right, so, Keith, a lot of exciting things going on with all of your books since we last spoke. So catch us up. Tell us what's going on and some of the things, particularly with the Flower Girl murder. Like I say, every time I turn around twice, it's winning an award. Yeah, it's amazing. It's been so, The reception has been, I've, you know, I'm, I'm extremely flattered and humbled. You know, I never really set out to be to be an author, but the more that people read the book and the, the various uh, folks in the publishing and, and book writing and reading industry take a look at it and decide to tell me that it's you know it's in the top ten list of this or in the you know in a finalist for this award or winning this award, I, it's just always it's a it's a constant source of amazement for me. So um, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled and, and I have news about Cover Me Boys. I'm going in too. As you know, you know, we published that book in 2013 and now after, you know, half a dozen years, it looks like, uh, Beacon Publishing Group has decided that they want to take a look at the book and are going to be the official publisher of Cover Me Boys. I'm going in. So we're in the process right now of, uh, of getting that book ready to get, um, launched by Beacon Publishing Group and, and pretty soon that'll be in bookstores and libraries and, and all over the world courtesy of, courtesy of them. So, um, that's exciting news too. So things are, things are going great guns and looking forward to, you know, getting book number four out that I'm about halfway through right now. So it's all good. Yeah, that's all fantastic news. Now, you know, the best news of all of that is book number four is halfway done. Can you give us any hint about what the topic might be? Well, you know, it's I, I, I kind of went outside the box a little bit on this one. It's another mystery, but, um, you know, I hope that it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and I hope that people will enjoy it. it. And just to give you a little bit of a taste, it revolves around a detective named Murphy Murphy, who solves crimes out of the Department of Redundancy Department. And what he has, his case, his current case is with a rock band called Serious Crisis, who seems to have things belonging to each member of the band go missing along the way while they're on tour. And he's being called in to solve the mystery. And as he does, I'm trying to weave in every single redundant phrase that I've ever heard that drives me crazy into the book. So, um, like I said, I'm trying to have a little fun with it. And I hope readers will have a little fun with it, too. Ah, that's fantastic. I can't wait. Good luck on finishing the rest of the book, and I hope it's soon because I look forward to reading it. 
Keith, I, I, I want to get your thoughts on the news that Johnny Miller is going to be retiring. When you look at the body of his work, what's, what's been your opinion of, uh, of his talents behind, uh, behind the microphone? And then uh, when, when you look at Paul Azinger taking that over, good choice, bad choice, what are your thoughts? Um, well, to start with Johnny, I mean, what a, what a run. You know, the guy was a great player, obviously, and, and when he hit the scene as a television personality, he really was that. He was a personality, and I think uh, really kind of established the bar for bringing his personality to the broadcast booth, and, and other people tried to do that, and most weren't as good at it. Um, you know, he took a lot of criticism took a lot of criticism from players. You know, he took a lot of criticism from viewers. Uh, you know, it, it was kind of one of those things like, you know, like the New York Yankees. You either loved him or you hated him, but there was no in-between. And uh, he had basically, you know, been the, the anchor for that NBC golf broadcast for years and years and years. And, and pretty much the show ran through Johnny. It was kind of everybody kind of deferred to Johnny's opinion. It's saying, you know, the, you get famous, you know, kind of uh, folks laugh about, you know, Roger Malby, who's a tremendous on-course announcer, or Gary Koch, who I was fortunate enough to w- work with in the early 90s on ESPN Golf. You know, it's like, well, what do you think, John? Or, well, that's right, John. Or, you know, that you know, whenever Johnny said something, there was never any, you know, actually, John, that's not what's happening. It was always, that's right, Johnny, or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which was kind of, you know, it turned into kind of a funny thing. But Johnny, you know, I mean, 99 times out of 100, what he said was pretty spot on. So, you know, he was a little rough around the edges, but that made that NBC golf show entertaining and, and fun to watch. And, you know, I think Zinger brings some of those same qualities to the broadcast booth. He's, you know, he's incredibly intelligent, knows the game, clearly has the resume, is a great guy, and, you know, is a little bit rough around the edges, which I think that I think golf fans like and I think golf viewers like. The only thing I'm a little disappointed in is the fact that they can't find somebody new. They can't, you know, I mean, I, I love Zinger and I love his work and I think he'll be a great addition, but he's already doing golf for Fox. Granted, it's only, a, you know, a couple of events a year, but I think there are a number of guys out there that uh, may not be getting an opportunity or may have to wait for their opportunity. Guys like Jeff Ogilvie or, or maybe an Ernie Els or, you know, even David Duvall or Justin Leonard, who seem to be the ones being groomed by NBC for this role. And now, you know, they're not going to get that shot because, you know, Zinger's going to be there. And for all intents and purposes, it seems to me like he's going to be there for a long time because he's got the energy and he's a young guy and, and he's, he's really good. Keith, uh, can you, to project out a little bit further, you're right. I think he's, you know, obviously Zinger's going to come on and he's, God knows how long his run will be. Johnny had 29 years. But when you look out on tour, can you project, are there guys out there playing today that you think, you know, boy, I bet you he would make a really good announcer one day? Man, that's a tough one, Chris. And that was one of the things that we struggled with all the time at Golf Channel because, you know, in addition to us being, you know, the, the small fish, in, in the in the pond, you know, with maybe not quite as much money and certainly not not anywhere near as much visibility, you know, we we would spend every year. I remember a group of us, uh, the production folks and and the folks on what we call the green carpet, the the management, and we we basically pour through uh, PGA Tour, Buy.com, Nike Tour, LPGA Tour media guides, looking for. You know, that player that was, you know, kind of on the cusp of maybe not 
quite being so successful anymore, but looking for something to do, especially in the men's game when we were doing it, it was like this transitional period between early 40s at the time and then, you know, 50 for the, for the champions tour, the senior tour. And going through these, you know, it's like, how many wins do they have to have? And what do they have to have? And are they good looking enough? And, you know, can they, you know, speak English? And so when you look now, you know, the problem now as well is that guys don't stop playing in that mid forties range. Guys are still really competitive in that mid forties range as they turn 50 and, you know, look to go and play on the PJ tour champions. So we, you know, we, we struggled with that. And, you know, I remember, you know, a funny story was we were televising a, I think it was the buy.com tour at the time. I think with Nike, then, then by Hogan, Nike, then buy.com. And Kurt Byram was, was playing. I'm still playing full time on that tour and still going to Q school every year and trying to get his way back onto the PGA tour. And I, during a pro-am one day, walked up to him out of the blue and asked him point blank. I said, you know, Kurt, have you ever thought about doing TV? And I swear to you, Chris, he looked at me like I had just insulted his mother. He gave me this look like, you think I'm done playing? You think I'm not good enough to play and I have to go and, and do television work. And I, you know, and I, I, he said, he said, I'm not done playing yet. And, I went back, you know, a little bit later and I found him again and I apologized. And I said, Kurt, I meant no disrespect. I just, you know, you're a good looking guy. You've got, you know, PGA Tour wins on your resume. You've won a number of times out here on this tour. And I just thought, you know, as I'm looking toward the future, um, you know, who's going to be around and who's going to be that person that thinks they might want to do TV? So we, you know, we laughed a little bit about it. And quite frankly, then two weeks later, he sought me out and he said, you know what? I've been talking to Cindy about it, his wife. And if you're serious, I'd like to give it a try. And, you know, the rest is history. I mean, he's one of the best best guys, I think, one of the best guys they've got on the golf channel. So to answer your question, to look forward, it's always a tough call. And it's always one of those things where you wonder if a guy is really committed to doing the work of doing TV and is really committed to, once he's not playing, does he really want to travel 20, 15, 20, 22 weeks a year and be around golf but not playing. It's a tough call. It's a really hard hard one. What about Mickelson? That's the guy that comes to yeah. my mind. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people say that. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know Phil. I don't know Phil very well personally. I don't know. You know, seems to me like Phil's got a lot of other things going on and may not be interested in how much work it takes to actually be really good at the TV gig. And I say that because I remember when we first, when Golf Channel first had Nick Faldo in the booth, and Nick didn't do very much preparation. Nick didn't do very much work. Nick wasn't Nick wasn't a very hard worker when it came to his TV obligations in the very beginning. Now that's completely different. He has he has embraced the role and realized how much work it takes, and has you know gone all in, as they say. I'm not. Sh- I don't know Phil. I think Phil would be good. I think Phil would have a lot to say. I'm just not sure if Phil would be interested in doing anything more than the big events. Um, and Tiger, I just, I don't think Tiger would be good at it. I don't think Tiger has the personality. I don't, I don't think Tiger would, would like, like the, you know, the nuts and bolts and, and just the, the mundaneness of week in, week out, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, seeing the same guys talking about the same things and calling golf on TV. So it'll be interesting. A lot of people have talked about Phil, like you say. 
he's certainly got the personality for it. Uh, I just wonder whether or not it's something that he really wants to do. Keith, as you know, I've had Ben Wright on the show several times, and I think he's a guy who paid a very steep price for you know one ins- insensitive remark yeah. about 30 years ago. And in a world where you know so many athletes get second, third, 10 chances, he's a guy who never even got a second one. But um, I love the yeah. way that he called golf tournaments. And to me, he just he didn't just state the obvious. He painted a scene for all of yep. us. I was curious to get your recollections of his work. Yeah, he was amazing. You know, to the very end, and I agree with you, you know, we were kind of in that those golf channel was in the, the early stages of, of being an entity and those things um, happened. And I think, you know, he got I think he got a raw deal. He's, he was a great broadcaster. He was a great storyteller. You know, the, the words just, you know, whether it was the combination of the accent, the knowledge of the game, the passion for the game, it all blended into this, you know, this whimsical this i mean this this musical kind of way that he spoke about golf um that drew the viewer in and and made it you know always fun to watch and then he you know he was a he was a great foil to to mccord and and that whole cbs group uh you know that was a great great mesh of talent um losing ben was a, it, you know when he left golf tv that was i thought that was a big loss for the for the business and um you know i'm sorry that he never was able to to find a way back into it because i still think he even today i hear him hear him on your show and i hear him other places and he's still got a ton of stuff to say and um it's just really too bad that kind of that we ostracized ben the way we did and and made it impossible for him to work in the business and keith last time i asked you about players or agents who complained to you about their guy not getting enough airtime, whether it was during a broadcast or enough interviews and that sort of thing. And, <laughs> and after the show, you wish you had told me a story. Do you mind sharing the story that uh, that we talked about afterwards? Yeah, no, I don't mind at all. It was so funny. You know, it was, I love to, when I think back on those golf channels, those early golf channel days, it, you know, as we've talked about before, it really was the wild, wild west. And it was that, uh, there was a, it was a place where, you know, there were, there were kind of unlimited opportunities for people. And I think back now and, you know, just a couple of names that have, that have become household names, not only in, in golf broadcasting, but in sports broadcasting. Kelly Tillman and Scott Van Pelt both started in the library at the Golf Channel. I mean, they were, they were the guys that, you know, you walked back there if you needed footage of, the 1962 PGA Championship, you'd go back to the live, the videotape library and you'd put in a request and hand this guy Ben Pelt and say, you know, go find me this footage, please. And a lot of people, I'm sure, didn't say please. But um, <laughs> while we were, when we, we were doing tournaments, obviously, and one of the major complaints that we got that came in through the switchboard was, you didn't show my son, nephew, brother, sister, you know, my dad played in the this tournament today and he never got one minute of airtime. You're supposed to be the golf channel. How can you not, you know, how can you not show golf? And so the COO at the time was a gentleman named Gary Stevenson, who has gone on to do a, a number of great things in sports television and television in general. But he had the idea that we should do a, a half hour show at the end of Sunday night and call it the leaderboard report, be a scroll of every single leaderboard from every single tournament 
around the country set to music. So Scott Van Pelt, the gentleman in the library at the time, was pestering our vice president of production and our senior vice president of production and Gary Stevenson and Joe Gibbs uh, almost on a daily basis that he wanted to be on TV. He wanted to be on air. So Gary finally, to shut Scott up, said, fine, you're going to host this show called Leaderboard Report. And here's your job. You are going to come on the air and say, hello, everybody. I'm Scott Van Pelt, and this is Leaderboard Report. And then we're going to start the music, and we're going to scroll scores for a half an hour. He said, at the end of that half hour, you're going to come on the air, and you're going to say, thanks for watching Leaderboard Report. I'm Scott Van Pelt, and that's it. (laughs) And Scott agreed to these terms until the very first show. So on the first show, they were scrolling the scores from a PGA Tour event, and as the scores went by, Corey Pavin's name came up, and one of the rounds that Corey Pavin shot during the course of that tournament was a 79, and Scott Van Pelt, off the cuff, said, wow, Corey, 79 on Friday. I guess you were sleeping in the garage that night. Control room cracked up. Everybody started laughing. Scott started laughing. And then so he took that and ran with it and started making comments and figured that that was going to be the first and last time he ever did the show. So he walked into, apparently the next day, Gary told me the story. He walked into Gary's office expecting to be fired. And Gary said, that was the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Keep doing what you're doing. And Scott Van Pelt was a TV star. <laughs> <laughs> That's creating opportunity for yourself, going out on a limb, but certainly right. creating an opportunity for yourself. Good yeah. for him. So that was fun. I mean, those were, you know, we had a lot of stories like that. You know, we had, it was a great, it was a great time. It was, uh, it was, those were the, those early years of Golf Channel were some of the best years of my professional life. And the people that I was able to work with and the team that, you know, that put that thing on the air. And it was a, it was a labor of love. And, you know, it was so great to see that channel succeed for Joe Gibbs' sake and, and the, the rest of the talented, a lot of talented people that put their heart and soul and blood, sweat and tears into that effort. It was, uh, it was an ama- it was amazing. Keith, one more before we let you go. And, and I'd read an article on womensgolf.com where you talked about of the four golf tours here in the U.S., right? The PGA Tour, the Champions Tour, the Web.com Tour, and the LPGA Tour. That the Web.com and the LPGA are the hardest to produce for live TV. Why is that? Um, I, you know, because it bo- basically it boils down to re- resources. You know, they throw the majority of the money and the resources and the support uh, behind, especially the PGA Tour. And then, you know, the second rung on that ladder is the uh, PGA Tour champions in terms of, you know, the number of volunteers, the information that's given to the to the broadcast team in terms of uh, uh, shot link and, and tracers. And now, you know, we didn't have that back then, but we certainly had this, the scoring, the scoring lines coming into the TV truck. And then the just the resources that the networks put toward those events. You know, the the number of cameras, the number of crew, the number of, of digital video recorders or in the early days tape machines that they had. You know, we were we were televising Nike tour events and Buy.com tour events at the time with a third the number of cameras and and crew and half the support staff in terms of what the tour put out um, and trying to still do three hours of television and and make it 
seem like you were able to get uh, as many golf shots and as many holes covered as you possibly could. So um, I think it really boiled down. You know, my when my justification for saying that was because of of the resources provided, and also you know when you when you have the especially the the nationwide tour, the web.com tour now, you know, you're, you're not dealing with household names. You, you know, it was easy to do a PGA tour event because every time you looked up into a monitor, you saw a face or a swing or a walk you recognized. Every time you looked up into a PGA tour champions monitor, it was the same thing. Guys were, you know, you'd followed your entire life. So you knew what they looked like. You knew how they walked. You knew how they, how they waggled the club, that that's who it was. You didn't have to ask somebody who this is. Those early days of the of the Nike tour on the Golf Channel, you know, we had no idea who who ninety percent of these people were. So, you know, we were going along, and we had, you know, you had to get help, and that's how Jerry Foltz Jerry Foltz became a broadcaster for me because he started out coming in the truck, look at he looked at the sixty TV monitors in the TV truck and told me who the guys were. And so, you know, I mean, it was he was a godsend. And without that kind of, you know, because if you don't know who it is, Chris, you end up staying on the guys that you know. So all of a sudden, a television broadcast where you could show 20 or 30 or 40 players, you end up showing 10 or 12 or 15 because they're familiar to you. And those are the ones you know. So those are the ones you keep going back and back to and you stay with them, even if they're walking around a shot and not ready to hit a shot because you're too nervous or too scared to go somewhere else because you have no idea who the player is. And, the, you know, the announcers are, are nothing without the producer telling them this is where what hole you're going to and what player you're going to show. So um, I, I think that's the reason I said that. Keith, before we let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, get your books, anticipate number four coming out, and do that whether it's online or it's on social media? Yeah, the easiest way, and thank you for the plug at the beginning of the show, is just to go to KeithHerschland.com. All my books are there. The blog is there. Uh, the move that uh, Sarah and I just made to Colorado Springs has kind of cramped my writing style a little bit. But now that we're getting settled here in Colorado, I'm I'm going to be back and, and doing, posting some things on the blog and, and finishing up book number four. So I appreciate the plug, and, and that's really the easiest way. I'm on Instagram at author. And I'm also at Facebook at Keith Hirschland Author, but really the website is has a link to all of those things. So KeithHirschland.com is really the best way. Well, Keith, it's always so much fun getting to spend some time with you. I really always treasure the time that you joined me here on the show. I can't thank you enough for continuing to take time out of your night to come back. And uh, I hope you'll do it again soon. You're fantastic, my friend. It's always a pleasure. And I hope I don't talk too much. I feel like I always talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the slightest. You know, my job is to <laughs> throw a question your way and get back because your stories are always great. So I'm I'm trying to listen just like I'm a golf fan listening to you share the stories. So I appreciate you continuing to do it. Well, it's a great time to be in the business, and you do a, a wonderful job of connecting all the dots with golf fans and golf the professional players and people in the industry. And uh, your show is always informative and always interesting and always entertaining. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. Ah, thank you for saying that, Keith. Take care. All the best to you and your lovely wife. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Can't wait. Thanks, Chris. See you, Keith. That is Keith Hirschland. And again, KeithHirschland.com. And the, and the books are absolutely spectacular, folks. You're going to love all three of them. Cause, and they're all different, right? They're in different genres, if you will. So they're all very unique to themselves. 
And uh, Cover Me, Boys, I'm Going In, like I say, is uh, is my favorite book of all time. And uh, the, the memoirs, the stories, and the things that Keith relates for behind the scenes, from being a kid to working with his father in time at ESPN, ESPN2, and then ultimately the Golf Channel is uh, very informative, and uh, I enjoy reading it over and over and over again. So please go online, KeithHerschland.com. You're going to love it. Look forward to that fourth book coming out, hopefully, very, very soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Nick O'Hearn, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors. First, I want to talk about our friends over at Superspeed Golf. Now used by over half of the tour players around the world, Superspeed Golf is the fastest and most effective way to increase your swing speed. Three eight-minute training sessions per week are all you need to see a 5% increase in your swing speed. With sets now for golfers of all ages and over one year of included video instruction as well, Superspeed offers a complete solution to help you start bombing it off the tee. Visit them online at superspeedgolf.com to pick up your set today. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And folks, in appreciation of the men and women who have who have served or are currently serving our country, PGA Tour Superstore, the, the area's leading golf and tennis retailer, will be offering a 25% discount on purchases from November 7th through the 11th in honor of Veterans Day. The military discount applies in stores only, and guests must present a valid military ID, and some strict restrictions do apply. But go check them out. The PGA Tour Superstore. Wonderful friends. A lot of great stuff. I call it a golf wonderland. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Nick O'Hearn. Let me remind you about Nick's background. He is from Perth, Western Australia. He grew up playing baseball, tennis, and golf, turned pro back in 1994. He qualified for the European Tour on his first attempt through Q School back in 1998, and he played on the European Tour from 1999 to 2007, where he finished runner-up seven times in between 2003 and 2007. In 2004, he earned his way into the top 50 in the World Golf Rankings, finishing 45th that year. The following year in 05, he shot all the way up to number 24 and was a member of the international team at the President's Cup, where he helped earn two points when he and countryman Peter Leonard, Peter Leonard uh, defeated Davis Love and Kenny Perry in the Friday matches. And on Saturday, he paired with Tim Clark, and they defeated Fred Funk and David Toms. 2006, he reached 21st in the world rankings, and he won the Australian PGA Championship when he holed out, oh, by the way, from a greenside bunker to birdie the fourth playoff hole to uh, defeat, unfortunately, his uh, international teammate, Peter Leonard. That season, he also had the best finish in a major, tying for sixth at the U.S. Open, and he won the Australia-Asia Order of Merit. Nick is the only player to defeat Tiger Woods in the World Golf Match Play event. He did it twice in 2005 and 2007. He's written a wonderful book called Tour Mentality, Inside the Mind of a Tour Pro, which you can find out on Amazon.com, and I am honored that he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Nick. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. So, Nick, I want to get your thoughts. we got a lot of rules changes coming our way in January, and I saw your tweet where you said your favorite of those changes is caddies will no longer be allowed to assist in alignment. Curious to get your thoughts. Why is that your favorite one? <laughs> oh, you know, there's there's a bunch of them that I think are my favorites, but that one just kind of caught my eye. I just It, it always fascinates me when a, a caddy standing there 
lining their own player up. I'm thinking, well, if you can't line yourself up, you shouldn't be playing this game. Um, you know, back from when I was a kid as a junior, it was all about how you were able to figure out how to play the game, you know, get the ball in the hole, how to line up to hit the ball down the fairway on the green, how to line your putts up. And then when you have someone else doing it for you, I think it just takes away from it. So that one for me just resonates really well because it, it kind of drives me a little bit nuts, you know. And to, to be honest, I mean, I think they should almost take away the lines on the golf balls when people are putting. I think uh, it takes a little bit of the skill out of the game, and, and that's what this is all about. And, Nick, what are some of the other changes? You mentioned, you know, hey, you like some of the others. That, that one just stuck out to you. What are some of the other ones you think are really good moves? Well, I think, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's going to be in uh, in professional golf, but I like the one for the amateurs where if they hit one out of bounds, you just you know drop one there and, stay, and take uh, stroke and distance. I think that's a really good rule change. Um, you know, the one where they're dropping from, I think it's knee high now, Waist high, knee high, it really doesn't matter, to be honest. Um, you know, just drop the ball wherever you think, and whatever lie you get is whatever you get. In a, in a way, you can almost just say, well, have a preferred lie, because if you're taking a drop, well, obviously probably bad things have happened anyway, so why don't you give yourself a uh, a, a bit of respite. Um, the one that does concern me is, you know, on the greens, where you can uh, basically now pat down any, any mark other than, I think... Um, what is it other than any natural natural fault of the green? So you know spike marks, pitch marks, but I think there's a bit of a a grey area there where I think people will just start patting down everything. So that could slow down play again, which is a little bit annoying. You know, slow play has been one of my bane's I guess throughout throughout my career. I'm, I'm I guess a fairly fast player, so playing with slow guys has always annoyed me a little bit in in some sense. So I do like the I do like the change from five minutes searching for a ball to three minutes. You know, that's going to speed play up again. So that's that's a bit of a favourite of mine. But the RNA and all the golfing bodies, they're just trying to, you know, make the game more enjoyable and more pleasurable for everyone. So hopefully the rules will uh, will be, uh, you know, welcomed by everyone out there playing. Nick, I want to talk for a brief moment about the Ryder Cup. And, and you posted a powerful video that was put together for the European team for their players to watch prior to the matches getting started. And your comment was spot on. It's it's hard not to want to run through a wall when you when watch that video. It's it, it to me it just seems like the European team their drive to win is a little bigger than the U.S. teams. Their talent isn't any bigger, but in my opinion, their focus. You know, sense of playing for each other, ability to make really big putts, just always seems to be better. What, what's your thought about why the Europeans have dominated and your thoughts when you watch that video? Yeah, I mean, the video is just, you know, very special. I think the European tour does a fantastic job uh, social media-wise. They're always coming up with some very unique concepts, you know, the uh, of how they go about promoting their tour. And, and, and this one, in regards to the Ryder Cup, I watched it and I had chills. I mean, it was like watching a a drama movie of some sort, you know, it was just kind of an, an epic little short clip and it was just fascinating to watch. And I, I played a lot of years on the European tour, so I know a lot of the guys over there. And it, it, it's interesting, you know, Europe has definitely dominated the Ryder Cup, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years or whatever it's been, especially obviously in Europe. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, the first one being whenever, whenever they play the Ryder Cup in Europe, 
best thing or the best decision that they always do is, is they play a golf course that they play a tour event on every year. I mean, uh, the French uh, French Open is, was played at the Golf National, obviously, every year. I've played that course. I know how difficult it can be, and you have to know the greens around there. I mean, going back previously, you had Glen Eagles, the K Club, Valderrama, Celtic Manor, you name it. All these golf courses, they play there year in, year out. So the Europeans know those golf courses. In the US, um, same thing doesn't happen. You know, they play places like, uh, what is it, Medina, and, and I can't even name the ones over here because they, they play them very rarely, and maybe it's for a major or something like that. So obviously, you know, there's some financial... Uh, discussion going on with where they where they play the courses over here, but in in the Europe, that's that's a very very smart decision on their part. Um, the other side of the coin there is also the Europeans, and you know why why do they gel so well, and why do they seem to come together so so much in the Ryder Cup? Is I mean, I, I had a theory on this a while ago. Um, I've played on both tours, and when you go to a European tour event, you stay at the same hotel as all the other guys. You catch the bus with all the other guys to the to the course and you eat in the same restaurant. So you get to know the guys really well. So there's a very tight bond amongst all the players. And it doesn't matter if you're Swedish, Spanish, English, Australian, whatever. Uh, everyone, you know, knows each other quite intimately uh, and, and they form some very, very deep friendships. Here in the United States, you know, I've played over here a lot. The first thing they give you when you go to the, a golf tournament is, is, is they give you a brand new car for the week and you can go and stay wherever you want. So you very rarely see the same guys uh, that you're playing the tournament with um, off the golf course. So, you know, the, the friendships level probably isn't quite there. I'm sure through junior golf and college golf, there is some, you know, relationships that develop like a, a Justin Thomas and a, Jordan Spieth and you know Ricky Fowler and those sorts of guys where they where they do get along very well, but it doesn't run as deep as in Europe and, and the passion and you can you can see it you know when they play a lot of the guys are best friends out there. I mean Molinari and uh, and Fleetwood. I mean who would have thought those two guys would be best mates? But you know you you see when, when they play together, it was just a, an amazing combination that was going to be really hard to beat. Um, the other thing, you know, that really did not play in the favour of the Americans this year and which was really disappointing when I, you know, saw it and, and knew about the fact that it happened was there was only one of the Americans that went across to play the French Open. And funnily enough, it was their best player, Justin Thomas. He, he played the French Open this year and he earned the most points. No other American player played in that tournament. And, you know, they say, yeah, we had our practice rounds and all that, but playing a practice round and playing competitive golf on a golf course is two completely different things. So I think they kind of screwed up a little bit there. And um, I would have, if I was the captain, I would have had everyone, if possible, playing that French Open that year. I mean, I mean you're not going to get every all the guys, but if you can get two-thirds of the guys to go over and play, it make a huge difference in the event, I think. And Nick, you've played in the President's Cup before. Is there something that the international team can learn from the European team to become more competitive in the President's Cup? It, again, it's, it's a tough one um, as far as the gelling part of it, I think. Uh, the international team, when I played, there was probably four Australians, three or four South Africans, um, yeah, Fijian, Argentinian, Korean, Japanese, those sorts of so there's a bit of a mixed bag, um, and we kind of, you know, the Aussies tend to play together. I ended up playing with Tim Clark, uh, South African, but we we got on really well. 
it's it's just not not quite the same for some reason. Um, you know, I can't, it's hard to put a finger on what it is, and unfortunately, the, the international team keeps getting hammered in the Presidents Cup. But I think this year will be different. Um, or oh, sorry, the, the the next Presidents Cup will be different because it is back in Australia. And that's a completely different golf course to what the Americans are used to. Uh, I think the South Africans and the Australians, hopefully there's going to be a lot of them on the team because they will play really well down there because they, they know that style of course and they know those conditions. Um, and if I was captain, I'd, I'd pick mostly Aussies, to be honest, because that, that golf course is, um, is very unique. And, and if you've grown up playing it, you know how to play it. And it's a huge advantage. So, but overall, as far as the other President's Cups go, it's a, it's a tough one to put a finger on. Um, the Americans just seem to gel really well there, and you put them against Europe, and it, it kind of goes the opposite way. It's very strange. And Nick, like I mentioned in your intro, you beat Tiger Woods twice in the World Golf Match Play event in 2005, again in 07. And Tiger struggles hard when uh, when he plays in the Ryder Cup outside of uh, on a, in the uh, Sunday individual matches. But as you mentioned to me last time you joined me on the show, the key to beating Tiger is to get up on him early because he rarely comes back you know, from behind to win. So when you've been playing him and you've gotten that early lead on him, is there something that you recognize in, in his play from that point on? Does he become more fidgety? Does he be, you know, start to press too hard? Does he lose focus a little bit? What do you see when, after you got up on Tiger that allowed you to you know, continue on and win and not let him come from behind to beat you? Oh, yeah, no, I only played him twice in the match play and, and was fortunate just, you know, as you said it, you can't get behind the guy. Uh, if you do, it's, it's not, it's not all over and dusted, but it's a, it's a really tough thing to come back from. And, and with Tiger, you know, my theory was that well, he's won every major, uh, when he's either led, uh, going into the last round or being tied for the lead. So for me, I knew if I fell behind, uh, it was, it was kind of like the last round of a major to me, so to speak. So, I just knew that I uh, that I had to get ahead and and trying to keep the foot down. So easier said than done, obviously. Uh, the first time I just played really well, and I was didn't matter who played against me, I was going to be tough to beat. The second time, he he got off to a bad start. Um, you know, I was winning holes with pars quite regularly, so I was fortunate there. And then all of a sudden, he found his game. You know, through the back nine and, and came back, and we ended up going extra holes. But probably the thing I'm most proud of is I was never behind in two matches to Tiger Woods so that's a pretty cool thing to say I suppose but uh, as far as you know him in the Ryder Cup and he's he's had some some disappointing uh, you know results I guess over the years uh, I think he put so much focus into the the individual aspect that the team aspect maybe just doesn't quite gel with him so uh, it's a funny one you know it's match play and anything can happen you can win shooting 75 or you can lose shooting 65 so you just go out there do your best and, and the cards fall where they may Nick, you played with Justin Rose uh, when he was very young in his career. So you've sort of seen him rise from being a kid who struggled just to make cuts to you know, very recently being the number one player in the world. He's currently two, but we saw him get to number one this year. Talk about watching him and the growth of his game over the years. Oh, it's just been an incredible rise. I mean, I played with him when he was a seven, well, not 17, probably 18-year-old Um you know, back on the European tour and he missed 21 cuts in a row and you just knew that this kid had some uh, had some ability and that he was going to really go a long way in the game, but it was just a matter of time. He was very, very young, obviously, at that point. Um, and, 
he's just a, a lovely guy. Um, no two ways about it. He works hard. He's got a phenomenal talent. And it was just a matter of time, really. And obviously, since he's been working with Sean Foley, he's just done some amazing things swing-wise. So, uh, you know, he's he's got the complete game now. And and uh, it's just it's a treat to see him you know, just uh, go from strength to strength. And he was number one in the world briefly, obviously. But uh, he'll be up there for a very long time. I mean, he's just such a quality player and a, and a hell of a guy. Nick, not long ago, you did a workshop with the guys out on the uh, Washington State golf team, and uh, I was curious to get uh, your thoughts. What are, what are some of the things that you want to share when you're meeting with young players like that at the college level? Um, it's it's interesting. You know, you, you go to these college uh, – I, I go to colleges every now and then and, and do these workshops, and, and you stand there on the range, and you watch them hit balls, and you think, wow, this is this is pretty impressive. They all, you know, could be playing on tour or, or some sort of – at some sort of professional level, but what I try and show them is more that, you know, the game isn't all about the golf swing and it's not about, um, you know, looking pretty. It's about getting the ball in the hole in the least amount of strokes possible. So, you know, the art of the game really is thinking your way around the golf course. Uh, how do you play each hole strategically? How do you get the most out of every practice session? Um, short game, really, wedges, you know, that's a huge thing in this game, I think. And, and, uh, yeah, just trying to give them a, a different perspective. One of my favorite things to do with college guys these days is to say, well, okay, we're going to play nine holes where, uh, you don't use yardages. And, and they always look at me funny going, well, really? Um, how will I know what club to use? And <laughs> so, you know, to, to begin with, it's like, well, you got to figure that out and feel it. And, uh, after a while, they, uh, you know, their, their, their sense of touch and their feel really improves. And the other thing that happens is they tend to be very indecisive to begin with because, you know, they don't really know if they've got the right club in their hands. So after a while, what tends to happen is they have to commit to every shot and, and then they start hitting good shots again. So, and at the end of nine holes, you know, they really kind of say, well, I don't really need the outages, do I? Because I'm pin high all the time. So it's a funny game that way. It's a bit old school, if you like. Nick, just a couple more before we let you go. And, and you turned 47 back on October 18th. So first of all, happy belated birthday. But um, Champions Tour seems like it's just on the horizon or just over the horizon for you. Are, are we going to get to see you play out there in a few years? Uh, possibly, yeah. It's a, t- it's a tough tour to get on of what I've heard. <laughs> uh, Q school was pretty hard. So, you know, I'm keeping my game in shape. I'm heading down to Australia on Sunday, actually, to go to play two tournaments, New South Wales Open and the Australian Open. I, I don't really play anymore. I just... Uh, I coach and mentor young players now, so but I love to go down and play those events. So I'm keeping my game in decent shape, and um, you know, in a few years' time, I'll, I'll see where I'm at, and uh, you know, maybe I can make hay while the sun shines out on the Champions Tour. Who knows? But I think getting on that tour is the hardest part, and once you're out there, you can have a bit of fun. Nick, you've got a wonderful book uh, titled Tour Mentality Inside the Mind of a Tour Pro, which uh, our listeners can go online and find it on Amazon.com. But uh, remind our readers about some of the things that they'll find in your book. Well, it's just it's more about, um, you know, how to think your way around the golf course and how to shoot the lowest course uh, score possible. Um, I think people get too caught up in technique these days. And what I've found is, there's more than one way to get the ball in the hole. That's the biggest thing. And I think most people, you know, when they try and improve their golf games, they think about their golf swing and making changes. But what usually happens there is they get worse before they get better. So if you can just make two better decisions on a golf course, that usually adds up to three or four strokes. So you can lower your scores really easily just by thinking better. And the book is all about uh, how I did it over the years, you know, some structure and some processes to 
really help the average golfer um, just think better out in the golf course and, and make it a bit more enjoyable and more fun. And then there's also some sections in there about how to practice and, and how to get the most out of every session. You know, I get asked a lot from people about, well, how should I practice? So I, I dedicated about a third of the book to that because... Um, because that's a really important part of the game, I think, is you want to go to bed at night better than when you woke up that morning. So how do you how do you do that and how do you structure that? So there's, a, there's quite a bit of detail on that. And uh, at the end of the day, you're just trying to help people uh, improve. And, you know, sometimes the mind of a tour pro is a scary place, so hopefully I haven't scared too many people off with it. <laughs> well, Nick, I can't thank you enough for your time tonight and coming back and uh, sharing more of your stories and insights with us. Let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the things that you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media? Yeah, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I have a website, nickohern.com. Um, but I'm not a real, you know, publicity kind of guy, but you can get on there and you follow, follow some stuff that I'm doing these days. Uh, as I said, I'll be down in Australia the next couple of weeks having a bit of fun down there, but, uh, the best place to go is the website, nickohern.com and, and you'll see it all on there. Well, Nick, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I hope we can uh, get the opportunity to catch up with you again real soon. Always enjoy listening to your insights and uh, and sitting back and hearing some of the stories from your days being out on tour. Hope we get the opportunity to do it again soon. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, and uh, good luck with everything. Cheers. Cheers to you. Take care. Best of luck down in Australia. Thank you. Bye. That is Nick O'Hearn. And, uh, you know, again, the, the uh, title of his book is Tour Mentality Inside the Mind of a Tour Pro. You can find it out on Amazon.com and it's, uh, nickohearn.com and O'Hearn, uh, the, uh, the last part of O'Hearn is H-E-R-N. So nickohearn.com. Great stuff. Look forward to having Nick back on the show. All right, folks, it's time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again go out to Keith Hirschland and Nick O'Hearn for joining me tonight. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, and share your feedback. It's over there on Facebook. Please give us a like. That's also very important to us as well. Plus, if you've got a question for one of our future guests, let me know, and I'll be glad to get that question on the air for you. You can see on our website, nextonthetea.net, who some of our future guests are going to be. Plus, if you've got a question for someone who's already been on the show, let me know that as well. I'll be glad to forward that question on, and we'll get an answer back to you. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari and our announcer Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio. That show, like this one, also available as a free podcast on iHeartRadio and our good friends over on Podbean. Can't thank them enough for featuring uh, Next on the Tee right there in their golf section, available uh, on their Podbean app. Also, Thursday Night Tailgate is uh, also available right there and featured in their NFL fan segment or section. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we're joined every week by five NFL legends sharing their stories from their playing days and insights into what's going on around the league now. We also highlight two players doing great things in their communities and our spotlight on the positive segment. Again, you can find that show online at ThursdayNightTailgate.com. This one next on the T.net. Folks, thank you, thank you again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you're coming back and continuing to check us out. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday to hear